Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, bro. It's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Monday, February 17th, 2020, you are tuned into the simulcast of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented and simulcast is your Monday locker room from Amin Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking TakeOver, WrestleMania, and this week's wrestling preview. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, and Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the ring announcer. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's that R to the B to the V. Rick Vickery back again. A a simulcast, correct? Yes, sir. (laughs) The the, the Hitting the Works Pro Wrestling Podcast. The Monday Locker Room. The critically acclaimed Monday Locker Room. The Jargo. R-A-S-S-L-I-N is for lovers. And I know you are quite the uh, squared circle romantic. How was uh, Valentine's Day for uh, you and the lovely missus? Uh, v- Valentine's Day was good. Valentine's Day was good. Um, with the exception, I- I'm sure people are kind of wondering where in the world I have been this week because I think I only recorded one podcast this week. Just dealing with some health issues, guys. Um, it- it- it's been a wonderful filled world of Oxycontin this weekend for the Jargo family household. Um, down with a bad back. Huckleberry, I know you're dealing with some health issues yourself, but you know, I did in fact have just enough of a window that I took my wife out for uh, dinner on Valentine's Day. Did you do anything special for Valentine's Day? How's Mr. Hand? Well, see, I, I was trying to get around to seeing where the hell you were at. I didn't know you were out violating a wellness policy. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were just jacked up. The romantic that you are, wanted to spend the, spend the week, an extended holiday, uh, with with your lovely wife, but yeah, now we find out that you've been all drugged up. You're completely out of it. Uh, my, my day started out uh, pretty well. Uh, I guess uh, you know that they usually say that that most that first and most important lady in your life is your mom. And for my mom, her birthday happens to fall on Valentine's Day, so we went out for a very nice breakfast. 
Uh, then we went did, did some running around in the afternoon. Uh, around the evening time, uh, I got caught up with uh, whew, that that flu that I thought I had kicked last week came back and bit my ass. So I, I've been in bed through the whole weekend and was just hoping that I'd get enough energy back to get through takeover. And, and yes, I did. Uh, the show was was good enough. It was solid. It was the edge of the seat enough to keep me awake. And I know that's uh, that's kind of our, our big highlight for this morning, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, just real briefly, talking about Valentine's Day, tell you how boring I am, ladies and gentlemen. Um, not only did we go out for dinner, we went out for dinner, and it was about, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock when we left the house. And uh, everywhere around here was packed, dude. Like, I, I don't know how you people in the big cities, like, ever go out to eat or anything, because I just can't stand being around that many people. So, you know what we did instead for Valentine's Day before we went to eat to go kill a little bit of time? We went to Barnes & Noble and poked around the bookstore for an hour and a half. Yeah, that, that that's a romantic night out for Carly and I. We're, we're pretty boring people. Where did you guys go to eat? Uh, we ended up going to Applebee's. Applebee's. I was going to throw, say for anyone that, that knows Jargo that was maybe in Chicago with us, you know that he is about the most boring eater in the world. It's true. Uh, as, as Adam Rivera is prepared to show us all the fine cuisine of Chicago to take us out for, for the highlight dishes, especially that deep dish pie, all Jargo kept complaining about. I, I just want to go to Wendy's and, and get a cheeseburger. I'm a Jumping! man of simple taste. Yeah. Very, very, very so he bails. He bails on us when, when Rivera's taking us out to the hot spots throughout the town. You know, he's reaching out to all of his connection to get us, you know, the finest reservations, the, the best servers, the best items off the menu. And Jargo's over here just bailing out for a Wendy's cheeseburger. You know, I do enjoy Chicago. I, I typically enjoy my time in Chicago. But I cannot stand their food, man. Everything is just smothered in marinara sauce. Just too much just too oh, much. yeah baby love it kind of like johnny gargano and tomaso champa and adam cole last night it was just it was just too much just too much but you know we did have another big announcement at takeover last night rick of course the big announcement i'm talking about rhea ripley versus charlotte flair is in fact going to happen at wrestlemania and that kind of got me thinking about the wrestlemania lineup because we've heard some talk about john cena's involvement over the course of the last week and potentially undertaker's involvement over the course of the last week we've heard about wrestlemania potentially leaving the network and no longer being 9.99 free for new subscribers but rather going back to a pay-per-view model and looking at you know a 69.99 price point very much like some of these big ufc fights so i went through and i started writing out the card for wrestlemania rick i'm already at 14 matches and i don't have matches for daniel bryan baron corbin sheamus lashley ricochet alistair black or samoa joe and i'm already at 14 freaking matches well, I, I'm glad that you brought that up and you've been kind of toying with that that fantasy booker in your mind. And I think, you know, so many of us do. It's one of the the funner aspects of being a wrestling fanatic is you look at a huge card, you know, like a Wrestle Kingdom or a Bound for Glory, or especially a WrestleMania, and you start, you get the gears turning. Now, how's this thing going to line up? And I believe it was, you know, two weeks ago, you and I were having a brief conversation off air, and we just kind of touched on this. And I wanted to say that I had it, you know, put away back in the files there to bring to the air and maybe get some conversation started with, you know, the great members of our Facebook and homie media discussion group of our listeners across both of the platforms. 
But as you were starting to write your card, John, you know, it put yourself in the shoes of those in creative, maybe a little bit in Vince's head, uh, as you are on that team. What do you believe, what would you emphasize as the priorities of writing a WrestleMania card? Ooh, that's a good question. I wish I would have had that one before we started recording. Um, number one, I feel like the, the top priority has to be making a new star. I think that has to be the number one priority for any WrestleMania at this point. Yeah, bringing back all these legends to sell out the stadium and drive pay-per-view buys, that's all fine and dandy, but we're getting to the point, and we'll talk about Ruthless Aggression here a little bit later, a lot of the stars from that era are not available, whether it be to sudden death or a career-ending injury. We're running out of stars that we can bring back for WrestleMania, we have to create new stars, and that's something WWE hasn't done since who? John Cena? Yeah, you bring up a tremendous point there, and I, I really didn't look at creating the new star in in my, I guess my criteria of what I'm looking towards towards building a WrestleMania card. You know, for me, that number one is I look in house right now, and I say, okay, who is our upper echelon? Who must be featured on this thing? And as I try to transition that into number two and three is, okay, in-house, what do we have? Then two is, who do we have available from a throwback or a crossover? And how do we start building, let's say, six to seven marquee matches with those potential talent? That's that's where I begin. And I know when I say that that throwback, that throws a lot of people off. And even with you, I know it's a huge turnoff when I say that crossover talent, those Kane Velkes, the Tyson Furies. Uh, even if it's someone from the world of entertainment, you know, I know it turns a lot of people off. But one of the realities is, especially if you're sitting there talking to Vince, we're talking about WrestleMania, they are going to be involved. Now, my argument, I'm not necessarily against that in any way, shape, or form. My argument against it is the people that they're bringing in just aren't big enough stars. Like, the, the, the people that they're bringing in, like Tyson Fury, because I know that's the one that we fight about all the time, I just don't see the crossover appeal. And I've actually changed my stance. As I started thinking about, you know, what I would present or matches that I would propose for conversation at WrestleMania, because, you know, I kept pushing – that in Vince's mind, he's going to love that idea of, you know, that of a person like Brock Lesnar, perhaps uh, holding gold uh, against as long as Fury can take care of business coming up here in a couple weeks. And he captures whichever world heavyweight boxing championship that is out of the I don't know what I believe it's five. I believe it's called the linear heavyweight boxing okay. championship, which includes like three different belts. OK, so like after the five dozen of them that are out there. Right. You no, know, whichever ones that he holds claim to. I mean, in my mind, I just I see Vince just loving that image and being able to pitch that. And we have seen where Fox is behind Tyson Fury because they were running the specials on the major network, albeit in a, not in a, a prime slot. It was a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, but they were still behind it enough. NASCAR rain delay. They were still behind it to cover it. Uh, speaking of that, NASCAR Daytona kicking off this afternoon after a rain delay. Yeah, there you go. But uh. But I, I thought, you know, you could still have that and you have a backstory from him without putting him in a WWE Universal match. And I thought maybe about revisiting him and Braun. You know, your intercontinental champion versus the boxing heavyweight champion. They've got that history where it wasn't it wasn't really a clean finish, per se, in Saudi. That they could go back to that. But 
But to me, I, that's how I start building. And, and as I started looking through my card, as you said, you were having trouble finding spots for certain individuals. At the time of it, I could, I was having trouble finding something for AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. Uh, and there was a few other people as I was, I even at a time, I had a little bit of trouble finding something for Roman Reigns with the intent to keep him out of a title picture. I, th- I feel like that's inevitable at this point. He's going for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania. Which is, I know something we're going we're gonna to talk about here and the, the potential of his opponents. But, you know, as last night in the live discussion there for TakeOver Portland, I threw out, you know, at a slow period, you know, how would the potential of an Undisputed Era versus the Samoan Dynasty work? Because I was looking for just different scenarios, big time matches that I think would excite people that would involve Roman Reigns. I feel like the problem with that is Roman Reigns is as big as Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and Roderick Strong combined. I think in a setting like WrestleMania, and with that with that six man going on, and essentially, you know, I threw out where you have eight participants involved because you have Roddy in the corner, uh, and then last minute, kind of that big surprise, which you don't want to reveal because in case something comes up, that you would have Rock come work the corner, which, you know, outside, of, I mean, the Rock, if he would have to stand toe-to-toe with anyone, it would be absolutely disastrous. But I think in that setting, with so many people in the style that they could bring, you could mask that a little bit because there'd be so much going on. Just let the thing get out of control. Let it start running crazy where you don't have to worry about so much of those still one-up shots. Uh, then inside that ring, I think, you know, O'Reilly and Fish could definitely hang with it. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about O'Reilly and Fish because there was something that stood out to me very, very pronounced about the artist formerly known as Red Dragon last night at TakeOver. Uh, but first, I kind of want to run through these Mania matches. You brought up AJ Styles. We've heard now the reports that it'll be Phenom versus Phenomenal One at WrestleMania, Undertaker versus AJ Styles. And Rick, I don't hate this as much as people would probably assume that I would hate this. Well, that, that's good because uh, you know there's a, we can make a lot of sense out of this thing. Immediately when I saw it, I'm down with it. I'm okay with this thing. You want the, that spectacle of the Undertaker? I mean, he's absolutely earned this. We're we're looking at all these these different eras that he has spanned coming into the WWE in the early '90s. He was there. He suffered through the next generation where he was pretty much relinquished that novelty role. Then he had to, you know, then he starts emerging into the evolution of the attitude era. Uh, eventually though, they have to turn to him as a true leader in ruthless aggression as they're looking for that class from OVW to emerge and see who's going to be a leader amongst them. And, and all the way through, you know, in these certain spots through today, that you've always been able to count on your takers. Anyone's absolutely earned to have whatever opportunities he wants at WrestleMania, it's him. And so all these naysayers that want to talk about, oh, he needs to stop coming back, the match quality, it's not about that. It's about honoring a true legend who has given everything here. So as a fan, I think we owe it in return to give back in a positive manner. And if you're going to have him suit up and get in there, where it's just a little more than the spectacle, who better than someone like AJ Styles, one of the absolute best in the world to go out there and pull off that match. And it's the same thing that we talk about with Brock Lesnar all the time. Brock Lesnar works very, very well with small guys who create a lot of movement and can bump their ass off. That's AJ Styles to a T. 
And that's exactly what The Undertaker needs to be paired up with right now. Somebody that you know, number one, that AJ is going to take care of him in the ring. It's not like he's going to be giving The Undertaker a Styles Clash. You know what I mean? But anything that Undertaker does to AJ Styles, AJ is going to sell it like he just got shot by a freaking shotgun. Well, you know, down in Tampa, he's going, it's going to seem like he's been shot out of a pirate's cannon. Yeah. I, I mean, it, for, you know, the match six or seven on the card, kind of in the middle of the show, it goes seven, eight minutes. I don't hate this. Absolutely. And then, you know, I see the other argument there as well. Oh, you know, it's AJ doesn't need this. It should be going to someone new. No, the hell with that. AJ is a journeyman. And I, and I hope that that plays into, and I've seen some people, you know, how, you know, I've I've asked this myself in a couple spots, you know, how would you book it? People like, Oh, you know, you have him go to Saudi and he wins that little cup thing and he's all cocky. I hope they go a little deeper than that. I hope he he does go over to Saudi and he does win uh, whatever this cup, this gauntlet cup that they've got going on. But I hope that in a way that, that brings back a more humble AJ Styles that realizes and you could play into it as we're going to talk, you know, on the show. We got it here on the run about this new special about ruthless aggression era. Let's forget about someone that was left out of that, that wasn't brought over, that wasn't offered. I mean, he did go to OVW, but you could play into this thing. You know, he didn't want to relocate at the time because he didn't think there was a potential there. So he was left out of the ruthless aggression era that he had to go another path. He had to carve his own way through this industry. And he, a couple of years ago, he thought he would never be able to stand in a ring at WrestleMania. And, and now all the accomplishments that he's had, not that he's just been to WrestleMania, that he was able to debut exactly in the Rumble, that he is a, a multi-time champion, that what he's been able to accomplish inside WWE. But outside of that, there's one thing that he would love to go get, and he knows that time is running out on that. There's always going to be championship matches, but there's not always going to be Undertaker matches. Yeah. AJ Styles will be honored to lose to The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And he's he's going to go get that win, you know. I, I'm not, I wouldn't book him to win the damn thing, but, you know, he goes in there hungry with it. Yeah. And, and you make him a much more humbled individual. You know, and you make this thing where it's about a personal journey for AJ. And then, you know, the Undertaker come in and say, hey, you know, I've, I've always watched you. I've respected you. But you might have just bitten off more than you can chew because you've woken up uh, a, an even darker monster inside the dead man when it comes to WrestleMania. So and then it doesn't seem like it's such a forced program, which we've kind of gotten with the Undertaker from a couple of years. Make this thing a little personal for both of them, where it's not so much say personally against one another but it's a personal struggle within each of them. Yeah, I can get down with it. Uh, one I can't get down with, though, is John Cena versus Elias. Rick, this is being reported basically everywhere at this point. I have no desire to see this match. Uh, absolutely zero. If they want to give these two time in the ring, uh, I make it a I hell. It's bad as this sounds to even say out loud. I'd make it a rap battle versus a, uh, whatever, whatever you consider Elias as, you know, just have it like a uh, a lyrics competition. It'd be better whatever than the wrestling it match. Be, it, it's it's going to be way better than the wrestling match to me. When we're talking about bringing back, who's available to bring back, and who are our top stars, and we start looking at six to seven marquee matches, 
I'm sorry, Elias is nowhere near that. Yeah, not not even sniffing it. And he's one of those individuals that I'll even go is, you know, Jerry, you said you're up to 14 matches and still looking for spots for uh, absolutely one of those stars that should be near the top of that list is Daniel Bryan. And that's no knock, you know, as we both had trouble with, that's not a knock against Daniel Bryan. It's just about his recent creative. Exactly. And how do you jumpstart something? But Elias is nowhere near those conversations. And there's a handful of individuals nowhere near that conversation. And one of the biggest deterrents, I think, when we do look at how they build the WrestleMania card is this need, this absolute need to try to get everyone involved here. I mean, that's why we created this battle royal. Just let it go at it. You got to have 40 guys in that. There's 40 guys in it. We don't need to just be trying to manufacture matches for the sake of having matches when we should be concentrating and building some of these really interesting feuds that are really going to sell this thing, especially if you're going to expect individuals to, to fork up close to $70 for this thing. Names I don't have on the card anywhere that would be better than Elias to face John Cena at WrestleMania. Daniel Bryan, Baron Corbin, Sheamus, Lashley, Ricochet, Aleister Black, or my personal choice, Samoa Joe. Give me Samoa Joe versus John Cena. They're old friends. They were training partners at the Inoki Dojo, for God's sake. Do it. I want to see that match. I'm not exactly opposed, and, and I threw this out last week at some point, just trying to start some conversation. Uh, I want to be opposed to, instead of trying to put one of these mid-carters against Cena, I would be okay because I don't think there's a whole lot of interest around this Universal Championship. And that's why I started looking for something different for Roman. I wouldn't be so opposed to having John Cena challenge the Fiend for the Universal Championship. Well, there is another option that we can go to as far as that's concerned. Couldn't you just have Goldberg beat the Fiend? You could still do Roman Reigns versus the Fiend, but for the Universal Championship, John Cena versus Goldberg? That looks awful good on a marquee. Yeah, absolutely. It <sighs> Yeah, I was I was trying to think everywhere on this thing, and I didn't really have a spot for Goldberg because I didn't I didn't know his availability. And as we're looking at this car, you know, so much is going to change from spec from speculation from event to event. Uh, you know, going even into Takeover, we could start looking at certain aspects of okay, what could be happening WrestleMania weekend, and if it's either on Sunday or if it's at the Takeover. Uh, as soon as we get out of the Saudi show, we're going to get a much clearer picture. And then we've got the chamber to go through. So they could take us through a, a number of avenues to get where we're going. You know, the big thing out there that is kind of rumored and people are getting really fired up over. What do you think about the potential? You know, Goldberg does take the title in Saudi and it sets up him and Roman Reigns. Is this another case of the, the same logic behind this month of Cor Baron Corbin? Let's give Reigns an opponent at WrestleMania where he will not get booed if he wins. I think that turns into a WrestleMania 20 Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg situation, don't you? Fan-wise? Yeah. Where the fans just hijack it and shit all over it? And I don't think it's going to necessarily be, you know, I, we, we certainly know, and I think that we've learned from history, or he has, Goldberg would give a better effort. But you know you're going to get a tremendous effort from Roman Reigns. But I think you might be right in the sense that that audience, especially a WrestleMania audience, is absolutely going to dump all over that thing. I think you do Reigns versus The Fiend. The question is, does it need the Universal Championship? I don't necessarily know that it does. It just It's almost more intriguing to me without the Universal Championship. I could see something there. Uh, it, how would you start the thing? I mean, what's your pitch? Because I just don't know with 
outside of a championship, they haven't, you know, out, well, outside of a championship and what we've done, what that going on with, with edge and Orton, but especially on the SmackDown side, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the, the actual creative side of it, of what's going on. Well, I don't either. And we'll talk about Bruce Prichard a little bit more here, a little bit later in the show, but I SmackDown to me is just unwatchable. That entire show is just awful. As far as what I would do, I mean, we already saw the callback between Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan, right? That went back years to when Daniel Bryan joined the Wyatt family. You could have Roman Reigns in a number one contender match. The Fiend pops up and takes out Roman Reigns, and everybody wants to know why. Well, Bray Wyatt told you years ago, anyone but you, Roman. Anyone but you. And and you're off and running. And he, he did actually at some point say, you know, I'll never leave you alone. Yeah, like like th- this is a blood feud that should go on for eternity between Bray Wyatt and Roman Reigns. The only problem is the Fiend sucks and Roman Reigns is Roman Reigns. I almost feel at this point, you know what, you, you did make the commitment with the Fiend. This was your plan. You jumped the gun. You, you had to go to him early on when the Funhouse was so hot before you figured out what you actually had in the ring. To me, it's it's one of those cases where, you know, see something through, see it through, figure out a way to get out of this thing. Book yourself, you know, book yourself out of this corner that you boxed yourself into. Well, I feel like the problem with one of the problems with The Fiend, I mean, because my God, I feel like I could do an entire podcast about why I hate The Fiend, but very much like Undertaker back in the Ruthless Aggression era. Undertaker was better in a personal feud rather than a feud over the championship. Like the the Undertaker character never needed the championship. Yeah, they gave it to him a few times to rack up his accolades because goddamn it, he deserved it. But the Undertaker never needed to have the championship. He was better in a blood feud of some kind. I feel like the Fiend is very much the same way. Well, earned it, but uh, well, you know, back then, you know, as you go through the next gen and all that, he was he was viewed as a novelty act. They didn't believe that they needed him in that title picture, and for a multitude of reasons, you're right. You know, he had that different mystique about him. It, it had to be more personal with him instead of just chasing, you know, the glory and and building your resume and those accolades that that really drove the likes of you know a a, a Diesel or a Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart. It had to be much more personal. And another great comparison is, you know, once you have the, the title on him for an extended run, what do you do? How do you get it off of him? How do you transition? And then what is there afterwards? You have you know, to this should have been a long, yeah, this had been a, well, you look at a couple ways when they, you know, they screwed him. You know, it took Yokozuna and half the goons in the locker room to throw him in a casket to ride him off for a while. And he did have an early taste of gold, you know, within a couple months of being in the company. But that was mainly as a transition, so they could go into the Rumble, that was a vacated championship. And then after that, it, it was quite a while before you saw him back in that, you know, really in that picture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as Goldberg goes, you say you don't know what his availability is going to be. Well, if he's available for Saudi Arabia, his ass better be available for WrestleMania if we want him there. Well, I just, I just didn't know what, you know, if he had any projects going on, if they had offered the contract. I just don't know the all-around status of it. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to, when we start looking at this card itself, you know, we need that next step. We need that next piece in the puddle with puzzle, which happens to be Saudi. A couple other programs that are already in place for WrestleMania, Lesnar versus Drew, Orton versus Edge. 
Ripley versus Charlotte. We saw that one confirmed last night at NXT TakeOver Portland. Rick, where does this even fall on the card? I mean, granted, you're a Charlotte shill, so you're going to say that it should be, you know, the main event of main events. But, okay, realistically, where does this even fall on the card? Well, you know, all in this build, you gotta you gotta really gauge this interest for this larger scale here. I mean, this was this has caused a great deal of excitement amongst that NXT crowd. Uh, it, it caused a little bit of a spike here. Once you involve Charlotte, though, you are going to ultimately expose Ripley to that much wider audience. You got one of the biggest stars in your company, your ambassadors, your talking heads, the alpha of women's wrestling inside of WWE. I, I absolutely, I mean, I don't think this is one of your main events. I, I could see this thing opening. Yeah, that wouldn't be a you know, good place. to get that, that that grand entrance there. Yeah, that wouldn't be a uh, bad all de- spot. All, de- all depending on the the attention that this thing's given to it, and I have to, I have and I you know a big feeling they're going to put a lot of focus on this thing to try to make this thing rival uh, the potential of Becky versus Baszler. And therein lies and, the and problem. I, think, I mean, because they're both on Raw, so no matter what you do. You have two Raw women's matches that feel far more significant than whatever the SmackDown women's title match is, which feels like it's destined to be on the pre-show. But then you're valuing the NXT Women's Championship more than you are the SmackDown Women's Championship. So why in the world do I want to watch SmackDown? Like that brings up a whole other conundrum there. And another match that I have to have listed is the women's tag titles. You have to assume that the Kabuki Warriors are going to be defending their titles at WrestleMania against somebody, which also feels destined for the pre-show at this point. Absolutely. I think, you know, you're going to end up with two of those women's matches on the pre-show there. Uh, let's say could actually pull some, some magic and they, they've got like the tricks bunny in their ass that they can pull a rabbit out of the hat here. Uh, this SmackDown's division is, is an absolute disaster when it comes to the women. And I think right now with what the talent that they have available, if they would not make any moves and try to come up with something together with inside that division, I don't think that barely even qualifies as a quality kickoff show matchup uh that that's that's how bad this thing is which really surprised me and i guess i'll talk about it now i won't save it for to uh take over about how they really treated bianca belair last night now in my eyes you had a blossoming star she was lighting up the sky and coming out of that show going into that she should have been a priority she didn't need to win that match but it should have been a priority to keep her strong and they absolutely did her zero favor. She was someone that you could have taken over. And it didn't have to be a one-on-one match with Bailey. You could have just inserted her into like a, a fatal four-way with some of the other ladies on the pre-show. And you would have created some interest around that division. People might have, and I don't think it's going to you know, drastically sway the needle and, and spike your numbers. But I think people would have taken notice. They would have been invested a little bit more in SmackDown. Had you taken a star like that, you're talking about creating stars, taking a star like that and made that move to the blue brand, which they just desperately need. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Um, Baszler and Becky feels like that's destined to happen at this point. Uh, Rick, we haven't talked about it at all at this point, but what the fuck did they do to Shayna Baszler last Monday on Raw? Uh, you, you know what? I, I was talking to a little fly that happened to be on the wall in, inside that creative meeting uh, and essentially went down was uh, the, the biggest question was. 
What can we do to make sure that this audience doesn't cheer the fuck at a Shayna Baszler beating the shit out of Becky Lynch? And the, and the obvious answer, Drago, was let's have her try to eat her, physically I mean, eat her. There, There's a lot of people that are going to like the vampire aspect of this thing. The impression that I got when I watched it, when you watch two lions fight, how, how does the alpha put down the beta? Right. It yes. grabs him by the back of the neck and just fucking holds him down there. Bites the shit out of him like that. That was the, it was like the animal instinct thing is what I got out of it. Did you take the vampirism thing out of it? That was what a, a comment that I had. You know, you see these vampire memes and comparisons popping up everywhere. And we're like, when the hell, when the hell did biting someone automatically mean that you're, you're a vampire? You know, cause you know, last week, little Noah bit somebody. I didn't know he was a vampire. I just thought he was being an asshole. Yeah. And, and that's what I got there. You know, in the whole point, and I think what, you know, what really threw me off initially, and I wasn't like super opposed to it because it, you are right. I mean, it was, it's, it's the show that she is willing to do anything. It's a lioness coming to, to claim that territory. Putting down the alpha and saying, you ain't the alpha anymore. Like just straight up, I'm taking your territory. It, but it, it, the way that it presented, it didn't just – it just wasn't a good visual. It came off so campy. There was too much blood and it wasn't nearly dark enough. Like it, it just yeah. did not register at all. You're right. It felt very, very campy. But I feel like they were going for the animalistic like instinct. I felt like that's what they were going for. Absolutely. We're not turning Shane into some crazed beast or something like that. I mean, it, it, she's she's coming to claim something, and she's willing to show Becky. Becky, you know, is claiming it, it doesn't always appear that way, but it, it's very basic. It, it, what their intent is is that the man, she makes the law. She runs the law of the land. She makes the rules. She draws the line in the sand. But Becky's here to re reinvent that and claim that position. Or not Becky, Baszler is here to claim that position. I just think the, the way right direction just missed the mark. One of those things that reads good on paper and then in execution, it just, it looked awful. It was awful. Um, as far as the SmackDown women's title goes, I, however, we get the title on Bianca Belair. I'm fine with that. We'll talk about Bianca here in a bit. As far as the women's tag titles go, Rick, what do you got? Like, is, are there even women's tag teams at this point? Well, you know, when we got past the rumble, I was very adamant about let's refocus on this women's tag division. Let's get this thing going. Let's move Oscar on from Becky. Let's let's focus here. You've got tremendous talent throughout this system. Maybe not present right now on the red and blue, but throughout this system. And the intent of these tag team titles was to travel across all the brands, to travel the world looking for the absolute best inside the universe to challenge for this. They lost that focus, and now they didn't go anywhere near what I was hoping for. We've been locked up. How many times have we seen Oscar versus Becky since the Rumble? Twice? Yeah. Twice yeah. in three weeks? Yeah, so once on Raw and at the Rumble. Wasn't there like another one? Or, or there was at least some interaction between them somewhere. Yeah, and so we they also had uh, uh, Oscar and Charlotte in there, didn't we? Okay, okay, yeah, that was in there as well. So they're just using Oscar again on this road to WrestleMania as feeder. And using her as feeder in a holding place instead of moving forward with her. And they're not doing – and even if they were doing that with Asuka at the time, because isn't is Sane still injured? No, she's been cleared now. Okay, she has been cleared. So maybe they're just treading lightly with her. 
like you know, just to make ago, sure. I think she was cleared. Two, okay, maybe three. So, so maybe they're, they're just treading like a bit lightly there with their. Uh, but you could still be building up other uh, competitors, right? Other people in the division that are saying, "Hey, this is the road to rest." I mean, if you're, let's just throw it out there. What where the hell are the Iconics? I mean, you're known as a duo. Your 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 specialty is working together. It's the road to WrestleMania. Why aren't you taking to social media to those other platforms if you're not going to get airtime and starting to drum up some interest saying, hey, we made history last year at WrestleMania. We won the belts there. We want to do this again. Where is that at? And they're completely wasting an opportunity here to really emphasize this women's division. At this point, uh, another rumor that I've seen thrown out there that I'm actually okay with would be the, the Divas of Doom. No, you, you, I, I just came up with it, right? Instead of Bianca Belair winning the SmackDown women's title, I want Bianca Belair in a tag team with Sasha Banks. We'll call them Ratchet and Clank, and uh, we'll put them up against the Kabuki Warriors. That feels like a WrestleMania match. Give me Ratchet and Clank versus the Kabuki Warriors. I take that. I could get down with and, that. I could see then, Bianca being Sasha's heavy when she first comes in. I could totally see that working. I could see that there. Absolutely. Uh, I thought, you know, in one of my one of my biggest worries about moving Belair to SmackDown would be the marketing of her with Naomi because they're just so similar. Uh, but as I really broke it down, I think you could even have a tremendous program between those two. Very different personalities, though. Well, I was going to say, and, and you go with that. Uh, you could go with Belair coming in with that attitude, you know, where, yeah, you know, we, we both got that swagger. You know, we we both we both sisters, you know, whatever. Uh, but the difference is you like to come out here and dance and smile. I come out here and kick ass because now I'm the EST of WWE. No, just not NXT. So she's got more of that attitude where I do feel that would fit in better with a Sasha. Man, yeah, I'm fully sold on Ratchet and Clank at this point. I really want to see that happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, they could go out there in and pretty and have a, a, a good kickoff show match there with, with the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, then again, then again, we're back to square one with absolutely nothing for the. Uh, I mean, we're th- at that point, do we just go ahead and put the SmackDown Women's Championship on the pre-show for the Hall of Fame? Yeah, might as well at this point. I mean, because but put it on the Go Home Show for WrestleMania, like because at this point, the SmackDown Women's Title just feels so incredibly irrelevant. We we've got the go home on SmackDown, but tune over to FS1 backstage for our SmackDown Women's Championship match. There you go. Uh, Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens. Do you th- think they're going to actually drag this all the way out until WrestleMania? I've seen uh, some different scenarios here with this thing. If they could carry the belts, and then you end up with Joe and Buddy in that thing. Uh, uh, there's some different scenarios there, but I mean, that's a long that's a long haul. And we are regularly seeing these guys each and every week in some sort of variation of a match. Uh, Same thing with the U.S. title. I feel like it's going to be a Lucha house party for the U.S. title, whether Kalisto and Grand Metalik and um, whoever the third guy is. This whole I feel like the U.S. title is just it might as well be the Latino title at this point. Like it's all about Humberto and Andrade, and now we've brought Angel Garza into this whole thing. Rey Mysterio's involved. Like it's the Lucha House Party for the U.S. title. The Lucha House Party without the Lucha House Party. Yep. 
pretty much. Uh, Intercontinental title, probably be on the line. Current champion, Braun Strowman, in case you forgot. I almost did. Rick, anybody stand out as competition to Braun Strowman? I think, again, this might be one of those specialty matches. Braun seems to be falling into that trend at WrestleMania. You got some backstory here. So I think so much of it relies on what Tyson Fury does in his big fight. Uh, that thing, it's right around blood money. I can't remember the exact date. It's like of the it 22nd, offhand. I think. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just before. So it's next weekend. Yeah. Uh, it would be next Saturday. Next Saturday night, I believe. Yeah. Next Saturday night. So this, this upcoming. Uh, so we'll find out, you know, this, that could be a potential. You know, apparently he's still got some some deals in place with WWE. I think that could be a direction. You going to watch the fight? Uh, I will not be watching that fight. I will be at Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling, making our debut at the Aurora, the Aurora Indiana Event Center. So uh, lots of big names there on, on that show. Uh, our champion. And, uh, you know, f- well, I, I don't know friend, but definitely uh, – tag team partner with the network as him and Ben Hameen are wreaking all sorts of terror, you know, throughout the, the, the Northeast, but Congo Kong uh, will be with us both nights there. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in action. I probably will watch the fight because I'm boring and I sit at home because I don't like people, um, but I'm pulling for Wilder. I hope Wilder knocks his ass just straight up, just knocks him out. Uh, New day versus Eminem for the SmackDown tag team titles. I feel like this is inevitable. Don't you? Again, you know, it, it is we're looking at building this card. You know, you're going to get one of those multi-team person, just total cluster. We, we've got to throw a ladder match in at WrestleMania somewhere. So you don't know it's going to be one of these tag divisions. It could be both tag divisions. You know, what the hell it could be. Yeah, the Raw tag team titles. I don't even I assume that they'll be on the card. Maybe that's just a false assumption. So th- this is kind of the way Mania looks to me. Undertaker versus AJ Styles, John Cena versus Elias, Orton versus Edge, Lesnar versus Drew, Reigns versus The Fiend, Ripley versus Charlotte, Baszler versus Becky, the SmackDown women's title, the women's tag titles, Seth versus Owens, the U.S. Lucha House Party, Intercontinental title with Braun Strowman, New Day versus Eminem, Raw tag team titles, and then I don't have Brian Corbin, Sheamus, Lashley, Ricochet, Aleister Black, Samoa Joe, oh yeah, or the one that really jumps off the page to me, Triple H. I What's the Triple H match this year? I've been telling you, man, no Triple H match this year. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. He's going to save. He's got those mandatory dates. He's going to save for those Saudi shows so he can up the pay. These Saudi shows are really a problem because as I read through that lineup, that reads like a 999 WrestleMania, doesn't it? I I think there's some matches there that, that really jump off the card to me that I could be excited about. Nothing that I'm paying 70 fucking dollars for. Well, how about uh, who was giving us the the heat on uh, Twitter last week uh, with us every week? I, I'm so, I can't remember exactly who it was, uh, but said, "Hey, you know, it, it's okay. People will still get it because they'll, they'll throw WrestleMania parties." And I posed the question: In your actually day to day life, uh, like physical being, how many people know ten wrestling fans that would sacrifice their Sunday in, in seven hours? To head on over for a WrestleMania party. And I know you, you can pitch it as, well, it's a party. You know, we got food and we got beer. But still, it, it's pro wrestling for seven hours. I don't know if I could persuade nine other individuals in my day-to-day physical life. And I hang out with people inside of wrestling all the time. 
But what's funny, you know, all these indie wrestlers that that I am in touch with, you know, on the daily, a lot of them are just tuned out right now in WWE. I think that was Daddy Den, if I remember right, that was giving a shit about that. Yes, yes. Well, it was maybe not so much giving a shit, but you know, just you know, pose the yeah. question. Yeah. You know, well, there's a way to get around this thing, and I know that you you actually have a WrestleMania party. Yeah. Every. Week. I mean, but how would you, how would you feel now having to tell those individuals? That are kind of in and out. They're you know they're throwback fans. Or if a lot of people come if I start charging people ten bucks to come to my WrestleMania party, they're not fucking coming. Like straight yeah. up, that's how that's gonna work. Yes. Yeah. No. I. I just. I don't see that happening. I sixty nine ninety nine. Man. I just. Nope. Hey, the 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 trend of the last couple of years. I'm surprised you haven't had to pay people to actually come to the thing. No fucking shit. No shit. Please come to my party. Yeah, fuck you, people. I don't even know if I'm gonna have a mania party this year. I I hadn't that like hadn't even crossed my mind at this point, and here we are. You know, the middle of February. Crazy. Uh, let's talk about Portland. NXT Takeover Portland came to us last night, and boy, did they enjoy putting over Portland. Um, uh, unfortunately, the Portland Trailblazers kind of stink this year. Yeah. But yeah, it was Portland. Uh, Rick, where are you at with this entire show? I mean, we got to see a six-match takeover. The show went about three hours. A couple of these matches were obnoxiously long. Um, what was kind of your overall take on the show before we dive into the match-by-match? Match? Uh, I guess overall, and there's a couple, you know, just to speak to the card itself. In hindsight, yes. I think one of the biggest things you can take away from any show, looking back on it, and I know a lot of people say, well, yeah, you could be you know, an armchair quarterback now or Booker. Well, there's things we didn't know. And now that we see how things play out, we see the match length, we see outcomes, the direction, it's okay. You can always go back and say, okay, where could they improve? Because these are things that we would have known if we you know, were in the know backstage beforehand and could make suggestions there. Uh, I know that you and I both agreed we, we didn't like – that the big men opened. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought for them in the opening, when we get to the match itself, I have praise for it, but looking overall, I would have moved this thing down the card to give them a little bit of leeway, open up the, the forum for them. Uh, we both agreed that the tag championship match should have opened. Yep. I, I think that it, especially knowing takeovers in their style, that is that hype, that energy, that excitement that they usually try to bring. Yeah, because, I mean, and, you know, the argument is always made about, you know, that f- opening match pop. If you would have hit Undisputed Era's music to open the show, people would have been totally into it. I mean, cool. and I agree. I agree completely. I would have went Broser Waits versus Undisputed Era for the opening match on this show. I thought Keith Lee and Dominic Dickhead, well, it was a good match. Don't get me wrong. I thought every match on this show was really, really good. But, of course, we're here to critique it, right? But I just thought they did way too much for it to be the opening match on the card. Like I I felt like it just weakened the rest of the show. Uh, And I think, you know, as we go across this thing, I think every match, again, could have been shortened in time. And that seems to be a a reoccurring, you know, thread with with NXT takeovers is that they try to – Everything just seems to go at least five minutes too long for me. Uh, but also, as we're looking at this match structure, I know there's something else that just you absolutely have no use for. And although it is short and it's sweet, and it's much more pleasant than, you know, say, just a red or blue pre-show, kickoff show, I would have moved that women's uh, street fight to the pre-show. 
Yeah. I, I think it just it just hit a weird placement inside. And, it, and I thought it was fine. I, I thought both ladies, I thought uh, Kai and Knox went out there. They, they gave it their all. We, they, we had something to be invested in. I uh, applaud both women for their tremendous work in the build to this thing. You could see the passion, the fire, how far each of them have come in their progression through the Performance Center, through NXT. I, I thought they did uh, everything about this thing I enjoyed here. The match itself certainly had its its faults, and I, that's more on – it's in the challenge of creatively putting together one of these matches, not a knock against women, for people that are 130 pounds. You know, some of the spots look extremely awkward. Again, at the end of this thing, uh, I think, you know, the end of this thing left a lot of people confused. I, as I said there in the live discussion, if you don't know who Gonzalez is, you know, that's kind of on you. She's been around for a while. You're, you're supposed right. to be an NXT fan. You're supposed to be smarter than the average bear, right? You, don't you do your homework? Don't you know who's in the wings waiting to come in here? But I think what really killed that moment, you got somebody like Gonzalez up against a Knox there standing next to Kai. She looks impressive. She's got a tremendous build, a, a great look. And she's like six but foot tall, isn't she? she she's yeah. a big girl. But when you're looking for that big bang, that big finish, that that visual, you need that smash table. And when that spot went yeah. awry, they lost all their momentum. Yeah. Now, I even think, you know, in a sense, yeah, I like it when there's wrestling's a little rough around the edges where things don't exactly go as planned. And it looks very vicious to see someone just bounce off the edge of that table. But for that visual that you want to have her just laying there devastated, you got to have that thing break. And that just took away from that complete moment right there. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I, there, was a, there was a couple other spots in there where she tried, like, what, the in, the inverted? What, what was she doing in the corner? Where she, and, and, and Nigel McGinnis just even said it, like, why didn't she just kick her? Yeah. Why didn't you just bicycle, bicycle kick it? There, there's a lot of that stuff that I felt like that was a NXT match. Like, NXT on USA, like, maybe you could build that as a main event of an NXT on USA show. I, I didn't feel like that was a takeover match. I, I think you are right. I, I probably would have went with that thing. Uh, if you're going to have it at this takeover, I would have gone pre-show. Yeah. I think it would have been a great go-home match for the excitement of NXT for takeover. Or it would have been, you know, you've you've got kind of a stacked card coming up this week. Maybe it would have been good to, to throw on at the, the Fallout show. I have a friend of mine who kind of attends a lot of those NXT house shows in that Florida loop, um, which is the true developmental system now of the WWE. And I'm told that Reina Gonzalez, Raquel Gonzalez, evidently they've renamed her, um, that she is progressing very, very well. And I hope that's the case because every time I've ever seen her wrestle, she's just not been very good. Well, and that's you know everything that I've, that I've heard about her. I'm decently familiar with her, but you could tell she was still very, very green. And I, I do kind of like this role here. You know, if you want to get her out there, you know, it's swim, sink or swim with her right now. But but I do like where she could be in that bodyguard role where you're not relying on her to get in there and actually do too much right away. Let her, let her adjust and, and try to find that flow and give her just a little bit more time before you really see what she's got. It's funny you say bodyguard role because everything about that entire sequence to me last night screamed to Mina Snuka. That was very much the feeling I got from Raquel Gonzalez. 
except you got one that's is good looking. Which one? Oh, you don't think you don't think Raquel's good looking? No, I think she got a tremendous look. Um, well, we have very very different taste in women. That's that's unquestionable. Uh, let's talk about Finn Balor. Finn Balor defeats Johnny Gargano, 27 minutes, 22 seconds. And the biggest thing in my notes about this match, Rick, the match was awesome, right? I I enjoyed the hell out of this match. NXT audiences are awful. Like, I I was so irritated watching this match by that freaking takeover audience. Like, we talk about all the time how they need to get out of Full Sail because Full Sail really, really is hurting the product when you look at the grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter. It's the NXT audience. I, How in the world was half of that arena cheering Finn Balor? There is not one redeemable, likable quality to Finn Balor at this point, and yet people are sitting there cheering him. Like, NXT audiences are just awful. Well, it's, it, it, maybe this goes a little bit beyond the NXT audience, and this goes into maybe a wider range of, this, of the smarky audience, you know, who are there for... That they're trying to see past everything else. They're looking at this this big, you know, they're maybe just maybe not the bigger bubble, a smaller bubble because they're on the inside. You know, they they, they know what's going on. They they know the struggles of Finn Balor. Oh, we, we just we just want to appreciate him so much. If you truly want to appreciate a Finn Balor, a, a Kevin Owens, anybody, an artist of any genre. Then when you're there in that live event experience, you're not doing them any favors by cheering them. You're actually making his job much more difficult. He's out there trying to give you his best to play a villain and over top one of the the top villains in the freaking promotion. Working his ass off to get that heat and you're not you're not giving him anything in return. You think that you're supporting him. You think that you're a fan. But no, what you are is you're a Mark Tard asshole. Get into the moment. Enjoy the show. Be, if you want to truly be a part of it, it's not about hijacking it. It's not about creating your own, these different chants and your own movements and trying to, to change the hand of creative. You could, you could do that on your social media. You could do that at home. You could do it on platforms like this. But while you're there, buy into what's happening. If you truly appreciate them and their craft as an artist, get into it. You know, one of my favorite places to go, and I just mentioned, you know, this weekend we've got a double dip at Battle on the Border. And I'll be helping out with some of the production stuff there. But when I am at those shows, and one of my favorite places to go up to Hamilton, the future great wrestling. And I've got so many people that I interact with that are on those shows. Tremendous people that, that I'm down with in my real life. When I'm there, if they're a villain, they're going to get it from me. It, what that what that does there, and it, it I don't you don't get vulgar, you don't curse, you don't personally attack them outside of their their character, their persona. But what you're doing there as a true wrestling fan is you're creating an environment, you're cultivating a culture that's going to be infectious for those around you, especially at family friendly events where you can get the kids involved and mom and dad started. That, and then it takes you back to that magical place in professional wrestling, which makes it such a, a great form of entertainment. And I agree with everything you just said, with the exception of this not being exclusive to NXT. And it's really not NXT. It's a WWE thing. 
because yes, that, that's, that's when what I'm I watch, saying, you know, that's it's a bigger picture here. But when I watch, you know, the smarkiest of the smarky fans, when I watch AEW, those fans play along with everything that they're doing. When I watch even smarkier than AEW fans, when I watch New Japan of America shows, or like when they have the G1 in Dallas, those fans knew exactly how they were supposed to behave. This is a WWE cultivated thing because of John fucking Cena. That's what this is all because of, because, you know, any reaction's a good reaction and let's go Cena, Cena sucks. That's what started this whole fucking thing inside of the WWE universe. And I, I do see it at some indie shows because the a lot of the audience is closer. And you see a lot of family and friends. And even though evil villain, they, they want to see their their real life buddy, you know, or or friend, whatever, you know, have success. But you still, you're not doing them any favors. And you're, you are right. I mean, this in large part is a, it's a WWE thing. In a case of AEW where we regularly praise that audience because they do buy in. I think the problem there is that actually AEW themselves is buying too much into their audience, but that's another story. But outside of John Cena inside WWE, I mean, WWE themselves has conditioned you on camera for decades now that we're management. We tell you what to like. You like it. They have created this backlash. Yep. They have created it themselves. So that we completely blame this audience. But, I mean, they need to realize it themselves and wake up. That you're when you're attacking, as you see it as you're attacking corporate, you're really hurting the talent. Yeah, the only heel in the WWE at this point is Baron Corbin. He's the only heel in the whole freaking company. He's the only guy that comes out and gets an overwhelming reaction from a majority of people and nobody chanting, let's go Corbin. It's Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin's the best heel in the whole fucking company because he's the only one that everybody hates. And, and, and what's in that large part? Because that's because he was created by WWE. Yep. Absolutely. He wasn't someone that, that traveled the Indies and did his time. I mean, at one point, he had a tremendous heel act when it was all centered around that. Yeah. Like, I didn't need to go to the Indies. I'm better than you. I, they just wanted me to come straight here. And I think, you know, a lot of the reasons that, that Roman has seen so much backlash is because essentially that's what he has done. Yep. And I felt bad for Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano. Because this audience should have been 100% against Finn Balor. If that audience would have been booing Finn Balor throughout this entire match, every time he did something that put Johnny Gargano down, this match would have had a very different feel to it. The audience really ruined this match for me. Yeah, another thing, too, that you do get this across the board at other places. This chanting the name of the promotion. Cheer for the talent. Yeah, right? Goddamn corporate branding bullshit. Really enjoyed this match, though. Man, that coup de gras. Dear God. Stuck that shit. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me in watching this match was poor Johnny Gargano. Because you know we had to force turn Johnny Gargano back babyface when Ciampa got injured. And the fans just never took to that babyface turn. And it's been all downhill for Johnny Gargano since then, even though he won like rivalry of the year last year against Adam Cole and match of the year against Adam Cole. Johnny pathetic fucking loser, man. Like 
I feel so bad for this kid because he is like the most white meat baby face inside that company. But the booking of Johnny Gargano over basically the last two years has just been awful. You know what it really came down to? What what really was the turning point for him? And we had questioned it. You know, was the timing right? What was what did the future hold for him when they made this move? Is when they put the title on him. Yeah, it did him zero favors. None whatsoever. Well, you, you get to a point, you know, what's next? And then you get where he is such, you know, he can work both ways, actually. I mean, he was doing tremendous that first run as that villain. You yep. get into that jo- that Joker-esque mindset where he actually believes, you know, that he is right. He, he has to do this to save NXT. He is the, the leader, the new face of this brand. And he has to, at, at any cost, he has to protect it. He was doing that perfectly. And, but then, you know, you, you run into these injuries. It really is the equivalent of what you're seeing with Kevin Owens on on the red and blue. That's a over very the last good couple comparison. Years. Very good comparison. Uh, Rhea Ripley defeats Bianca Belair. The match only went 13 minutes and 31 seconds, even though it felt longer than that. Um, and this was supposed to be a come down match. Um Rick, I thought the match was good. I didn't feel at any point that Rhea Ripley was in danger of losing this match. But once again, I feel like Bianca Belair and her star is outshining Rhea Ripley right now. I thought Belair was absolutely the star of this match. You know, if going into this takeover, you know, we were talking earlier about when you're laying out a game plan going into like a WrestleMania. So going into this takeover, we're sitting down at creative. One of the the number one things that I would be looking at here is creating that star. And we see who has the potential. And as we're looking down this lineup, I don't think there is anyone that stands out that has the potential right now to shine any brighter than Bianca Belair. That should have been a priority. Now, yep. in that, there's no way she is winning the championship. You have bigger business at hand going forward with Ripley and Charlotte. But we have an opportunity here to take somebody that can represent the next step in our women's evolution, that evolution 2.0. So when it has great athleticism, speed, ability, strength, a unique look that is very marketable, that can reach different demographics, that is everything that you need rolled into Bianca Belair. What they absolutely did, what makes this overall is, in, in my mind, how important that is. And how far they missed with this thing, such a swing and a miss that it actually downgrades this entire show for me. They did her absolutely zero, zero favors at all. I, I don't think she looked over, you know, overly strong inside this match, even in a match. that I know an outcome, but it's about the journey, not the destination. Nowhere in there were they able to suspend my disbelief there that that she had an opportunity to do this thing. She was dominated in my viewpoint. And then the way she is put down, I understand they say, okay, you know, someone can make the argument, well, we're protecting Ripley's finish. No. As I look across this entire show, I see repeatedly kick out after kick out after kick out. We're talking about the big man after, I mean, overall, after the two spirit bombs there, I thought that match should have been over as we'll get to it. But uh, this, you know, this is kind of the show where, the German suplex just went to the, the wayside of the super kick. Yeah. And, and you're seeing all these kickouts. So we got all these other magnificent athletes, these superstars that are reaching down deep inside of them to find that little extra adrenaline to continue to fight forward. 
But you can't do that for Bianca Belair. I, I, I love a good hard finish. I think it should be across the board. But when you have one standout like that, you're making a statement towards that talent that she didn't have that in her. So all of this talk, all of this hype where she has felt disrespected, not just by Ripley, just not by her continued chase for this thing. If it's against Asuka, if it's against Baszler, if it's here against Ripley, now she's being disrespected by the Alpha in Charlotte. All that was for nothing. She couldn't find any little extra in there. I didn't like that at all. And now I'm more puzzled. What is her direction? And one thing that's getting me here, I don't think she's done with this as being this third wheel in this build. I didn't like that Charlotte attacked her as well after on the way out. I did like that um, because it, it very much added to the story that they started on NXT um, when Charlotte came out and there was an interaction between the three of them. And, you know, Rhea doesn't like Bianca and Bianca doesn't like Charlotte and Charlotte doesn't like Rhea. And like, you know, it's a real nice triangle. Like it's a perfect setup for a triple threat, really, when you look at it. But more importantly, I want to see Charlotte Flair versus Bianca Belair now. Like they've created another match outside of this other match. Uh, but here is my worry. And that is, again, you're essentially turning Belair into a, a role of like a, an Asuka where she is simply there to keep, keep this thing, that motion moving forward, but she's not really a key element to this thing. And what does that do for her going forward in that long run? I would have preferred to see her just distance from this thing. I think what Get I her the hell done, away from me. Honestly, as I'm looking at it, like hindsight 2020 in like 12 hours or whatever, I think I would have put Bianca over. Like, I think you could do Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania with or without the NXT championship at this point. And then you could have had Bianca defending at TakeOver the night before. And I guess another way you could do this thing, and I think it does, I think they want that championship on the line. You want Charlotte in one of those big matches. And again, you know, it's, it's a visual thing. And you're trying to elevate NXT. You're bringing that into that limelight. So if you highlight that there, uh, which does, you know, it does answer another question. You know, what are they going to do the night before? Is that champion going to have to go back to back and carry two programs like we've regularly seen at NXT? You know, what what is that option? Uh, we do we do run into this as well. That I don't think they've had it on actual programming yet, but they have addressed this thing via social media, where Triple H has issued a statement that yes. Uh, if Charlotte would accept, this is before we knew this last night, if Charlotte would accept the challenge put put out there by Ripley and she does challenge for the NXT Women's Championship, that would make her a member of NXT and they would have to negotiate a deal to send a talent to Raw. Uh, that could be that in in return for Charlotte saying, okay, I'll bring my star power. Maybe her dad pulled some strings. Uh, I'll bring my star power, but I want that Bel Air girl gone. Maybe, maybe that's the move. I don't necessarily like her going the raw though, because they're there again. You know, it's, it's you've already got the hot main program. Okay, then, I, I'm looking. Then, I'm trying to look for the best possible landing spot for Bel Air. Okay, well, I, outside of Bianca Bel Air, then somebody explain what NXT got for Shayna Baszler. You know, like maybe, maybe that's what they were. Maybe that's what he was. I mean, he was talking about one of those two where there has to be something. There's going to be some kind of deal. So maybe there's a multi-person deal because we don't we don't necessarily know anything about Baszler going there yet. 
Right. I'm pretty sure he was talking about the Charlotte thing. It was something I saw in passing on social media. I could I could see a Charlotte for Baszler trade straight up. I could get behind. I, that. I'm just I, I, in my mind. I see so much star power and potential in Bel Air that I, I I would just be putting so much great focus behind protecting her and making things make sense and getting her to a spot where she's going to have a shot to to let her star shine so bright right now. Yeah. I, I've seen some people saying, you know, let's wait, let's wait. I don't think there is. We don't wait here. You, you strike while it's hot. Yep. No, I, I don't disagree with you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Broser Waits defeat the Undisputed Era 16 minutes and 59 seconds to become the NXT Tag Team Champions. Rick, I, I thought this was a good match. Um, the the opening, how much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? Like, how many times are we going to run that into the fucking ground? Like, it didn't work, dude. It didn't get over. And you know what you don't do with something that's not getting over at all? One more time! Like, I, I thought it made Matt Riddle look really, really fucking stupid. Um, well, I, you know, we're, we're singing about a fish fry the night that the German suplex died. Yeah. Uh, maybe if we go with that. We can just get, like, uh, an American Pie kind of song going there. You know, let's, let's reinvent this thing. Yeah, this was... That was a lot it, it, of German suplexes, man. Yeah. No sold German suplexes at that. I I did enjoy the bro dissension, though, that they teased kind of throughout this match. Because, I mean, everybody was kind of thinking about it. Like, how long before Pete Dunn is just like, seriously, fuck this guy and, and just whips Matt Riddle's ass, right? And the fact that they actually teased that throughout the match only for them to win, I thought was very well done. It, it even post-match, you're still waiting for it as the way they were standing, you know, there was with Dunn kind of setting up behind him where it would have been perfect for one more of those suplexes. Right. right. I think a lot of people were, were very intrigued by that. I'm actually glad that they, that they didn't go with this thing uh, because, you know, to me, it, it would begin to start taking away from the dusty classic. What is this? Our sixth winner. Uh, and yeah, I think so. it is six, six winners and three of them have come off thrown together tag teams. Right. And we've seen this thing in the past where they're using it as a catalyst to to create a feud. So to me, that I mean again, you're you're kind of you're dismissing the, the whole concept of tag team wrestling. Yep. And I didn't want to see that here. And I'm glad that they I'm glad that they teased it because it added so much intrigue and got people invested in this match. But we're going to see these two continue to go forward together. It, I think there's there's some shelf life with this duo. It, it, these odd couples that work together. And eventually, yes, down down the road, this thing could turn into one hell of a program. I think with, with the legitimacy of both of them, you're going to see a, just a hell of a, a dynamic. I have a feeling that a fish fry could actually be in store in the immediate future. Like maybe that's what Bobby Fish does after his wrestling career has come to its conclusion. Rick, Bobby Fish looked old in this match. Old, like borderline retirement old. And it's not just the gray in his beard. I was liking the look, but you could tell. Hey, but it's still inside. Hey, I was going back and forth with uh, Horsley in a conversation with this is he he still has it. I mean, I still felt like he was one of the generals in there. And to me, he's always been the standout in that group. I don't know, man. I feel, I feel like Bobby Fish is 
at the very, very tail end of his career and as good as his mind is, because it is like when it comes to in-ring psychology, especially for tag team wrestling, Bobby Fish is the freaking man. But I, I kind of feel like his body is starting to fail him at this point. Well, you know, what what helps what, what helps to that is the schedule with NXT. And if, if you can keep him inside of that group, you, you can limit the, the work that he has to, to put out there. And he also we're talking about, you know, just how good he is, how sound he is inside that ring when it, when it comes to a technical aspect. You got to believe that somewhere in whatever performance center it might be that, that he has, you know, quite a few years if he chooses to, to, to continue on with WWE. I, I would just make him the producer for every tag team match that happens underneath the WWE umbrella because that guy's psychology is on point. Speaking of psychology, let's talk about the big main event. Adam Cole defeats Tommaso Ciampa, 33 minutes and 24 seconds, in overbooked hell. Uh, Rick, I enjoyed this for about the first 25 minutes or so, and then it just went off the freaking rails, like NWO style. Yeah, it was just, get to, and this seems to be one of those just reoccurring issues that I have with Adam Cole matches. These things go about seven to ten minutes too long. They they seem to play out exactly the same way, just some different faces, same places. And it's I'm starting to get really a, a true feeling from him. I feel so much the same way I felt towards Shawn Michaels when he started to make his emergence. I know he's a tremendous talent, amazing athlete, crazy charisma, but there's something I just don't connect with with him. Hmm. I feel that way about Adam Cole. Freaking love Adam Cole. He, he is like the swarmiest of the swarmy. Um, as, as far as Ciampa goes, I felt so bad for Ciampa throughout this match. Ciampa is so much better as a heel. Like, Ciampa as a babyface, like, it's great, but it really sucks that that injury, like, took away all of his heat. Because, man, Ciampa might be the best heel in wrestling today, and he's being forced to work as this pandering babyface at this point. And I just don't like it. I miss the ruthless aggression from Tommaso Ciampa. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a case where everything seemed to be working so well with him and Gargano uh, until they flipped their roles. And, yeah. and it, it, it came about, and it, it, they did listen to the audience here. And this is one of those cases that no matter at that point what this audience, uh, you know, is, is we're pleading, you know, work with, work with Finn, giving something here. He's out there giving you his best heel work. Coming back from that injury like that, anywhere, I just don't think you were going to be able. You, you had to play the baby a bit with Champa, but now when you have to, when you're forced to go such to an extreme to the good guy role, it, it just doesn't fit him at all. So then we have Johnny Gargano thinking about it for a second before he drills Tommaso in the head with Goldie. And that's how Adam Cole retains the title. Um, Rick, it seems as though we're going back to Gargano versus Ciampa, which seems incredibly unnecessary to me at this point. But my biggest fear is, so Ciampa gets screwed. He should be entitled to shot at the NXT championship. Clearly, T Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano are going to be involved in a program. Finn Balor just beat Johnny Gargano. So that, in my mind, kind of makes him the default number one contender Oh, dear fuck, are we destined for a fatal four-way for the NXT Championship in Tampa Bay? 
you know what I actually go with? And I, unless I'm crazy and just the medicine, I just went loopy here. Uh, we didn't talk about the big man. We didn't talk about Lee and uh, Heavy D. Well, we, we, we kind of did. And then you started talking about Knox and, and Kai. Okay. So let's, let's play that match into this thing here. Uh, I'm talking about these, these stars and, and striking while the, the opportunity is hot. And we're looking at who could potentially be challenged here at, at Tampa takeover. I got to make an argument here. I think you go with right now with someone who is white hot that would bring, I, I believe would bring so much attention and, and you have such a, a tremendous look and unique athleticism with them. I would go with Cole and Lee. Keith Lee is one of those. I guess here's my thing with that Donovan dickhead and Keith Lee match. Like I kind of expected Dijakovic to win that match because Rick, I I'm convinced it's getting to the point with Keith Lee where every single day that he is still an NXT instead of the face of Friday night SmackDown, they are leaving money on the table. I think Keith Lee is that good. I think that if you put him on SmackDown this Friday, last Friday, four Fridays ago, three Fridays from now, he is de facto the number one babyface on Friday night SmackDown. Every day that he is still in NXT, they are losing money. I absolutely would agree with you. That would be a conversation to have. But, but in you know, in, with what I'm going here with my point, if he is going to be in NXT, if he's going to ride this out through this WrestleMania season, I'm everything I'm pushing for is to get him in that that title picture. I think he has a much more. There's a much more upside outside of anyone else that we had mentioned there. We've seen them. They've been there. They've done that. Even outside of the star power of a Finn Balor, I think you have such a blossoming young star here with such a tremendous look. Someone that can actually hold an audience in awe of what a professional wrestler should be. You have that in Keith Lee. The matchup I want to see for Keith Lee and Tampa Bay is a guy that we didn't see last night that I absolutely expected to. Where was Killer Cross? We didn't have any empty seats. We didn't have anybody sit in front row for TakeOver Portland. And I absolutely thought that was going to be the Killer Cross spot. Where the hell's Killer Cross? I want to see Killer Cross versus Keith Lee in Tampa Bay. I, I think they realize, and that would be, hell yeah, that would be a, a tremendous match right there. And I think that would, it, to me, in so many ways, that would overshadow any other potential championship match. That in could steal event. the weekend if, if they end up doing that match. And I could see why they stayed away from Killer Cross last night. You're trying to get some other business done and all that. And I think with hit the introduction, even in just a, a glimpse of him sitting in the audience, would have just taken away so much. You know, that would have become the talk of the town uh, instead of you know what we've kind of been going over here. And especially, it would have overshadowed that ending. Okay, so you know, somebody, so so I want to I want to pursue this point just a little bit. This was a good takeover. I agree it was a good show. You agree it was a good show. And I also agree with what you just said. But how freaking sad is it that Killer Cross sitting front row at TakeOver Portland would have been the lead story this Monday inside of the locker room? As good as that show was last night, that would have been the biggest news. Absolutely. It would have been. And I, if you know for that audience and what that audience knows, 
that would have had the internet buzzing is where is the direction for Killer Cross. And I wonder, too, a lot of it is they, they're not exactly sure. I mean, does he really? I mean, does what we know of the Killer Cross persona, it doesn't really scream to me a guy that's just going to go hang out and watch the show front row. On Wednesday, no, he would be there scouting whoever he's going to go after. But I, I see him as someone that would kind of be kind of be lurking in the shadows, you know, that Hitman-esque. You could bring Killer Cross in on Wednesday and have him beat Keith Lee for the North American title and send Keith Lee to SmackDown. But I expect that that's more of a Tampa Bay kind of thing. Like, I think Killer Cross is the guy that finally beats Keith Lee for that championship, and that's when Keith Lee goes to SmackDown. I can see that. The other big news coming out of last night, TakeOver Ireland is going to be on April 26th. Huckleberry, you still keeping up with NXT UK? You you know it, man. Absolutely love it. Tremendous brand, great talent, unique style. Who's being poised to be the next challenger to Walter? Oh, man. You see, at that point, I do have a little bit of catching up to do from Worlds Collide. Uh, but, man, I can see a number of possibilities, but I... But who is, I mean, who is that next serious threat there? I don't know. I, I have to come back on that one. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very curious what way, what direction they kind of go there. I could see Travis Banks, maybe? Hmm, I don't know. That's kind of where I was leaning towards. Um, before we get into this week's previews, wanted to talk a little bit about Ruthless Aggression, episode one. Huckleberry, I know you had a chance to watch this. I had to watch this like three times. Because there's there's just so much bullshit that just pisses me off as I'm trying to watch this documentary thing that it took me like three watches before I feel like I finally got through all of it. Um, Rick, there is a lot of bullshit to digest going through this show. It, it, and I want to remind everybody because it seemed like, uh, you know, you included, you were jumping on, okay. They're, they're jumping around things. They're just spewing out the, the WWE narrative. I mean, this was like, this is the introduction episode. This is what you know what this series is going to be about, what they're what they're looking at covering here. Uh, no word yet on how many seasons, although they are listening, season one, episode one. I don't even know how many episodes of this thing there are. But I, I thought it was effective. It, it got me hooked. I'm intrigued to see exactly how they are going to spin this, what they're going to cover. And I, I, before we jump into the actual episode here, Doug, I, I want to ask you, this is, and I think we're about, about on the same page with this one. This is when we both kind of had a falling out with WWE, correct? Yeah. Did you turn away from the product for a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Basically from 2000, well, let's see, if they bought WCW in 2001, I would say by probably post-WrestleMania 2002 is when I probably jumped out full bore. Okay. And that's about the time I, that I kind of – I didn't leave pro wrestling, but I left the WWE. This is, this is about – that's about the time when I really found and started studying all of the, the vast independent promotions that were available uh, across the states and across the globe. So I still had that passion for pro wrestling, but I had completely been turned off by the WWE. And a lot of that has to do with how we even evolved into ruthless aggression. And it was the major disappointment of the invasion and the buyout. And they, and they talk about that there. And they do acknowledge that this was the most anticipated angle 
ever in professional wrestling history, which, you know, could be arguable, but I mean, this is where the worlds are going to collide. All these superstars. But what we didn't realize at the time is the contracts behind the scenes. That wasn't going to happen. And we're left with a bunch of, I don't want to say nobodies, but you know, the, the middle, the middle of the pack, instead of the stars that had really stood out, the generals that had stood out during the Monday night war or the, yeah, the Monday night war. And the, the biggest thing for me is just that opening like 20 minutes or so where they're talking about the end of the Monday Night Wars. And that's when Vince tore his rotator cuff because he was so busy patting himself on the back. Um, it, it was absolutely ridiculous watching this thing, man. Uh, like Vince McMahon single-handedly put WCW out of business, which we all know is complete and utter bullshit. And if you think that is true, feel free to get at me on Twitter at not Jargo. And I'll be happy to educate you a little bit. Um, like the AOL time Warner thing, you know, that merger never happened. Um, there was also, you know, thunder that never happened. Um, there was the entire sale to the Bischoff group, you know, that got scrapped because TNT wanted it off of their network. Like that never happened. Like, I'm sorry. The WCW business model was what was the failure. It wasn't the fact that Vince put them out of business as bad as the creative was at the end of WCW. Yeah, and that's, you know, so many people that they just they think everything revolves around what you see on the screen inside of the ring, that that is what caused this thing. Absolutely not. And hell, even you and I go around about what absolutely killed WCW, but nowhere in our discussions have we ever said it was Vince McMahon in the WWE. Yeah, never. And nowhere have we talked about that. You, know, you kind of like to take that, that broader scope and look at everything where, you know, I, I entrust in of what Mr. Bischoff and Mr. Kevin Sullivan had said is it basically comes down to when your parent company doesn't want you and you don't have television, yep. you don't exist. And that is the very basics of it. What I think is very funny about this, let's go back and look at what killed WCW in pro wrestling, is that you get essentially they are consumed by a, a large conglomerate, a public company, that is living by these the the PC of the time standards. When you had these, what is it the uh, the practices and controls or whatever standards that and they would have standards and practices that would have, be harping on them. And we've heard. Ever, I hope most people heard this story. You know, they had someone even come to them, come to Bischoff, come to the creative team at one point, and say, "Well, uh, we don't like this term foreign object. It, it seems a little culturally insensitive." And you're like, what the? So you're dealing with these individuals who have no idea what is going on. They want they wanted to see the scripts and the storylines months in advance. They wanted to run this thing like regular television. And when they realized that it wasn't going to happen like regular television and it wasn't necessarily sport, they didn't want any part of this thing. And then they increased their content. Like for, for the same amount of money, they added in Thunder. And suddenly WCW had to pay for the production cost of Thunder while they weren't getting anything more from the AOL Time Warner heads. And suddenly WCW is losing money again. That's what really did WCW in was Thunder. Yes. And what I think is is crazy about this in comparison is we're talking about a, a, a large global public company who is in demand for all this high-end content ultimately is what killed them look at the comparisons to wwe right now and yeah we can you know the, 
someone like the professor is going to shill, shill, shill to say, well, what are you talking about? Look at the TV deals right now. Well, we know they're losing out internationally right now. And in five years, there is no way in hell they're going to see anywhere near the numbers that they just got cut, just got uh, cut to them on these current contracts. There's going to be a serious decline in that. Well, I mean, even for NXT, even for NXT, like USA, NBC, Universal is giving the WWE somewhere between 35 and $50 million a year for NXT. That's 35 to $50 million a year more than what WCW was getting from the Turner Broadcast Group to produce another two hours of TV every week in Thunder. Well, and I, I think, you know, the big, my bigger point here is everything might seem so high and mighty on the roost for them right now, but there's a lot of similarities when you become that big and you are involved culturally so much where it does begin to affect your product and you're trying to produce so much content that's not reaching the masses that you hope, it could come back and get you. This is it's something that the WWE themselves should be aware of. Now, unless they plan on selling, unless the McMahons are, you know, not in the ownership position within five years, this company could be in real trouble as we're seeing here just on, they created their own network so that they would have that safety net, have that hub. Look at the decline that we're seeing now. Now, now the whole thing's out on the market because it is beginning to show signs of tremendous failure. Less than a million subscribers domestically. Uh, So Huggleberry, let's go ahead. Let's run through the shows this week. What we've got coming up. We'll start off with NXT because Clearly, we're going to have TakeOver Fallout. Um, I expect that we will hear from Johnny Gargano at some point to explain his actions, um, as well as Roderick Strong versus Velveteen Dream and Leo Rush versus Angel Garza for the uh, Cruiserweight Championship. What do you think? Or no, not Angel Garza. Leo Rush versus, um, what's his Devlin. name? Irish Ace. Yeah, Jordan Devlin. That's it. Devlin. Uh, you know, I think... Going into that thing, it's going to be one of those matches for me. Uh, I, I go you know, with the, that open mindset. It's not for me, but I think they're going to do some good things in there. I, I've liked Rush since he's kind of reemerged there in NXT, and, it, and I, I do like that one. So we'll, we'll see what he's got. And, and it seems like the audience is starting to warm up to him a little bit, where you know, when he won that thing at Worlds Collide, they had no clue who he was. They're starting to pick up a little bit of steam here. I am just not into that entire cruiserweight division. I have no, no real care about it in any way shape or form well it's so hard to invest in when the rest of the show looks just like it it doesn't stand out anywhere yeah there's there's nothing to compare it to uh monday night raw the two sexiest couples in wwe will combine forces on raw to eradicate their enemies with me in his corner my beautiful bobby lashley will team with angel garza with zelina vega against my putrid ex-husband Rusev and Angel Garza's disgusting cousin, Humberto. This, of course, tweeted out by the ravishing Lana. Rick, this is fucking awful. This is your lead for Monday Night Raw? Really? Bobby Lashley and Angel Garza versus Rusev and Humberto? Really? But it's this. Uh, this is... Rusev back from suspension, correct? Yeah, I believe so. So, so we're ready to resume. Here's my biggest thing with this: it is what they have, how they have utilized Bobby Lashley in the absence. Oh, uh, now I can just, just you know, is for him to continue. He's continually putting over Ricochet, 
give give me a freaking break here. They, they should have. You could have gone another direction. I was actually, you know, I was one of those that was shilling for this thing. I was trying to, to get it out there. I, I love my bad reality television. Just my, just not bad, but terribly bad reality television. It, it, it had its place here on the show. I think you know the suspension came at a terrible time. They, they kind of they should have swept it under the rug just for a little bit and just casually mentioned it. But how you play off Lashley here within these last couple of weeks? Uh, it, you kill steam. You kill momentum. Just I I, I don't understand how this storyline is still going. It's I don't understand. Uh, the Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins, of course, will be holding his first sermon tonight on Monday Night Raw. Rick, I, I can't believe that they're still going with this, let alone that they're going with this thing so heavy-handedly at this point. Hey, I, again, you know, I, I wanted to give them a little credit. We ask them to push the envelope sometimes. They've surprised me here. What's really surprised me is, you know, that you mentioned last week that they haven't they haven't angered any of like these uh, Christian coalitions or anything like that, or hell, any kind of religion actually. Yeah, because those people get pissed off real easy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they're, they're, they're more worried about some other things, you know, that are going on. Well, it's not like the first time. I mean, the Christian Coalition has went after WWE before, like, you know, when they crucified oh, Stone Cold. Uh, did they get after them on that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, was oh, it yeah. Stone Cold or was it Stephanie that got put up there? Didn't they do like, it was like sacrificing the virgin or whatever? Well, they, they had it, Stone Cold on the Undertaker symbol. It wasn't a cross. It was the Undertaker symbol that just yeah. resembled a cross a lot. No, I, I just think those groups, they got so much other shit going on with everything between the left and the right and uh, bathroom usage and who's identifying as who. Uh, you know, pro wrestling's probably under their radar right now. Wu-Tang 2020. I mean, I just the, the battle between the left and the right at this point is just hilarious to me. Almost as funny as Matt Hardy versus Randy Orton in a no-holds-barred match on Monday Night Raw. Rick, I don't know if you've had a chance to hear this yet, but Matt Hardy put this out over the course of the weekend. On Monday, I'm going to fly my ass across the country. I'm going to Washington State, and I'm going to fight Randy Orton. Now, there's a lot of unknowns involved in this entire scenario for all parties involved. I'm sure Randy Orton's thinking, like, how's this guy that I killed off last Monday medically clear to return to the ring to face me in a match a week later? It's because, Randy, you ain't never seen anything like me. This industry has never seen anything like me. I'm an indestructible survivalist. Sure, the doctor said with his head and neck trauma I shouldn't compete, but I am defiant. In WWE, they've got to be wondering, like, what is this guy's mental, physical, and contractual status as we speak right now? I mean, someone who's possibly unstable, maybe even broken. Can they really trust me to go out on their live television show and compete to perform? And then all you fans, everybody watching on the other side of the screen, there's something unknown for all of you, because in two, three weeks from now, you have no idea where I'm going to be. I don't know where I'm going to be, but I can tell you the atmosphere that I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to a place that is my personal Arcadia 
a place where I'm respected and, and valued, a place where I am free to be me. And, and one of the cool things about wrestling fans in 2020 is this, that regardless of if I'm given the ball or not, they all know that I am an elite performer and I have the power and honor to make an impact anywhere I show up. So Randy, I need to ask you a favor. On Monday, legend killer, do your damnedest, do your best to kill me off. Because I don't think you can. I am defiant and I believe that I am forever. I don't think anyone can kill me off. I don't think Randy Orton, Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, Paul Heyman, Tony Khan, Joe Coff, Ed Nordham, I don't think anyone can kill me off. So Randy, do your best to massacre me, slaughter me, kill me, murder me. Because on Monday, you and everyone else are going to learn that Matt Hardy is unkillable. So Matt Hardy wants Randy Orton to kill him because he's Matt Hardy and he's stronger than death. He's unkillable. Rick, is this the end of Matt Hardy in the WWE? Is Randy Orton like the legend killer going to strike the legend down of Matt Hardy one more time? Kill the kill the Hardys, if you will. But hey, you know, I'm, hey, props for props is, are due here. You look at something inside WWE; they could they probably see this as some kind of punishment that they're going to bury Hardy or whatever. Uh, as we've heard, you know, some rumors that this this breakup, you know, maybe not going as smooth as they hoped. But Matt Hardy, being the genius that he is here, turning turning something into a positive, taking to his own platforms to continue to to keep his fan base rallied behind him. So you got to believe no matter what the direction here is following this match, uh, this, if it's a short-lived program, whatever the hell they got going on, uh, that he's going to land on his feet because he's setting himself up for, for success after this thing. Yes, most definitely. That he knows how to play their game. I'm wondering if this is where we get the return of Jeff, too. Like with Matt leaving, we know that Jeff's contract is going to be added on to. He's been down at the performance center, kind of rehabilitating a bit. Um, do we get Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton until Edge comes back? Use that as the filler. Maybe that is your, you know, we were looking for something for blood money. Jeff Hardy and Randy. Uh, Orton. I, yeah, I think, you know, that audience there would eat that up, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, let's talk about AEW this week because, Rick, this is a stacked show. Like NXT, of course, they're coming out of TakeOver, so there's going to be a lot of the fallout. But AEW countering with, wow, I don't even know where to begin. I guess let's start with uh, the Tag Team Battle Royal. Winners are going to get a shot at Revolution. So we have a title shot on the line. We have the Tag Team Championships on the line as the Lucha Bros take on the Omega Hangover. Then we have the steel cage match between Wardlow and Cody. And we, of course, we've never seen an AEW cage match, so we have no idea what to expect there. And oh, yeah, Jeff freaking Cobb debuted last week for AEW professional wrestling, and he's going to fight John Moxley this week. That's a dream match I never knew that I wanted, but I absolutely want to see it. Jeff Cobb versus John Moxley? Hell fucking yeah. Oh, you know, talking about dream matches here, it, one came up last night as we're watching the Broser Weights uh, celebrate their victory. 
it's just one of those times you wish that those lines could be crossed. I would love to see the Bruiser weights go down to the Crockett Cup and, and draw Cobb and Bath in the first round. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, but hey, you're talking about a loaded show here for AEW, maybe, you know, trying to, to measure up to knowing that they're, they're likely going to be coming off a hot takeover. But hey, this is one of those things when you're, when you're Cody Rose and you're a company that has that uses so much symbolism and reminds us so much of WCW, you better bring your best to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, this, this was, this is like your, your Holy land for you. Uh, you're going to bring your absolute best. They are putting their best foot forward, gearing up here. We got two weeks before we get their evolution. Let's hit a home run here. Then we'll go home for that final height next week. There's, there's a lot of intrigue on this thing. A lot of intrigue. And I, I want to, as you're talking about Cobb coming to AEW, and it, when, I, when he debuted last week or made the announcement, it, it worried me. I was hoping, and I'm glad that it, it isn't all the way through that he hasn't signed an, an exclusive deal with them. Because, I'm, as I said, with him and Math enjoying so much of what he is doing with Ring of Honor. And, and I don't want to lose that. But there is so much intrigue here. And I thought the way that they executed this last week was perfect. You make the announcement that he is going to be there next week. So now you're selling. You've got people excited. They've given them a reason to tune in. And yet then you still deliver with a surprise when he shows up at the end. Yeah. So you, you kind of got the best of both worlds there. Yeah, no, I thought it was very, very well done. Um, and I thought Jeff Cobb looked great for, for the audience that doesn't know who Jeff Cobb is. I thought that that was a pretty good presentation of Jeff Cobb. Yeah. It, 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 and you show that he is a monster. He looks great. It's someone that when you look at, they look like a professional wrestler. Yeah. It, you, you pick up that vibe immediately. And that's what you got there with Cobb. Uh, outside of that, the other hot program, which is, has just been tremendous, that they are knocking out of the park, is everything with MJF and Cody. So this cage match is, is going to be very interesting. You know, Hopefully if they don't give away too much as we're building up towards that big match and, and to see exactly how you know Warlow can handle himself here and, and how, how much they give away inside this cage. And Lucha Bros versus Omega Hangover should be fantastic. I guess so. <laughs> I know. Not your cup of tea. Uh, let, let's uh, talk about New Japan real quick. As I, I like the beer drinking part. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about New Japan as we wrap things up this week. Um, kind of been on the back burner a little bit since Osaka, but this is going to be a big week um, as they have shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, but we got to start off with over the weekend, Will Ospreay. Capturing the British Heavyweight Championship from Zack Sabre Jr. inside of York Hall. A seven-year story finally coming to its conclusion, at the end of which Will Ospreay has officially announced he is going heavyweight, to which Hiromu Takahashi responded, you don't want me anymore? Which I thought was absolutely that, fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. Rick, what do you think of Ospreay as the new Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship? You know, got a chance to check this thing out. I uh, really enjoyed it. As you said, so much history between these two all coming together, now making that that official move. Uh, I thought it was a pretty cool moment all around. It, it was one of the highlights of the of the last couple of days. I'm looking forward to seeing the match. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I'm surely going to search. Oh, it's out there. It's out there. I'm going to search that one out. Um, coming up this week, Wednesday, 
the big Tiger Hattori retirement event. This match, uh, Hattori is going to referee the two final matches, and then they will have the Hattori retirement ceremony. Your two main events, um, Kabana, Yano, Ibushi, and Tanahashi taking on the Bullet Club team of Fale, Switchblade, and G.O.D. This, of course, kind of a preview of uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi taking on Tamatanga and Tangaloa for the IWGP Tag Team Championships. Rick, this is one hell of a retirement match, an eight-man tag for poor old Tiger Hattori. I was going to say, there's a lot going on inside of this thing. And, you know, across the board, we're going to get so many stories here. I, I don't know. I, I just go back, man. I just feel bad. You know, a, a great, a great story here, a great legend, uh, but just the, it happened to follow up that Liger retirement tour. Yeah, him and Nakanishi both. Really, I mean, it's going to be a crazy week for New Japan. Uh, your second main event: Chaos versus Lij, the Chaos team, Goto, Ishii, and Okada versus the Lij team of Sonata, Shingo, and Naito. Rick, I thought this was interesting because, once again, we're seeing Okada and Naito kind of paired off, um, and we're also seeing Sonata and Goto paired off, and, of course, we're going to see Shingo versus Ishii for the Never Championship coming up. So, Okada versus Naito, is that going to be the next program going forward? Is it too soon to go to that? It seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, I feel like that's a bit rushed. I feel like that's something, you know, that, that you could really hold off on, but you know, with their schedule this year, and I know that they are going, they got a, a great tour. Uh, they're revisiting during the Olympics there, but you know, Okada won't be available for that. Willie, I mean, how, how much of his time and responsibilities are going to be dedicated towards that Olympics? Or is it just that, that's just, that's that one occasion. Yeah. I don't know how much Okada will be on that Hokiato tour. Um, I kind of expected that they would hold Okada off until MSG and do Okada versus Naito in a rematch at MSG in August. Yeah, I definitely could see that as well. Coming coming out of, well, I mean, that's does that fall during the Olympics or just after the Olympics? Um, that I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the dates. For yeah, the I, I, I guess I guess we'd really have to look at the the timing, uh, and you know when they are up against something like that and what his commitments are going to be to the Olympics. I know as, as a torch player, I don't know if it's just, you know, for that one time or if you have to, if there's regular events that you must be present at throughout the entire, uh, the two weeks or, you know, whatever it might be. So, I mean, that's, that probably plays a lot into it, just the scheduling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thursday on New Japan Road, we will see the Junior Tag Team Championships defended as it will be Rapungi 3K versus the Mega Coaches, the team of Taguchi and Rapungi 3K's mentor, Rocky Romero. Rick, I don't even know what to expect from this matchup. Do you? Like, do you think this is going to be like a, a typical junior heavyweight championship match or is this going to be like a super character heavy match i'm not really sure i was i was leaning more towards character and i was a little disappointed that this is happening so soon i wanted to see a little bit of build here and build some suspense between these two sides yeah agreed and then your main event for the thursday show never open weight championship on the line shingo versus ishii I mean, if you're, there was any question, if you wanted to watch the Thursday show or not, I think this is now made up for you. You want to watch the Thursday show. Absolutely. Uh, a mini tour here with 
you know, happenings throughout this thing. But I mean, this is your headliner. This is your marquee. Well, and not to be underdone, I mean, Friday, they're doing it again. New Japan Road, IWGP never six-man titles on the line as Evil, Bushi, and Shingo. Yeah, because right now we got Shingo two belts. They're going to be defending <laughs> against Taguchi, Cabana, and Yano, and we very well could have Taguchi two belts by the end of this week. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because he's going after both the, the junior tag titles and the six-man titles. God, there is so much wrestling. It's just insane. And then your main event of the Friday show. Again, if you're kind of, you know, eh, I don't know if I want to watch the Friday show or not. Your main event, the Golden Aces, the team of Ibushi and Tanahashi take on G.O.D. for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Yep. Watching the Friday show. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Shit. (laughs) And then Saturday. Back at it once again, as it'll be the Nakanishi retirement event. Uh, Nagata, Kojima, Tenzan, and Nakanishi versus Goto, Ibushi, Tanahashi, and Okada. Your main event for that match, uh, or that night, uh, with it being the Nakanishi retirement ceremony. It's going to be a great week for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but this is absolutely one of those tours that you were like, God, it'd be so nice if you just put all the big matches on one show. Uh, absolutely. Just, I mean, just the nature of the beast here, but it is what it is, Jargo. You, you, you've got to, you come used to that. Oh, I understand it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to like it. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media Online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Be sure that you visit our affiliates over at thegorillaposition.com, where they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Last word on prowrestling.com for all the coverage throughout the entire world of professional wrestling. And, of course, NDPW.com, which has the latest from all of our boys, including Carlos. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the real William Alicia. Shout out to you, my friend. Uh, You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. We'll talk about the death of WCW because, you know, I'm kind of a nerd for that kind of shit. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, this weekend, as I mentioned earlier, we got a huge double dip. Uh, Pro Wrestling Extravaganza with Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. Friday night, Harrison, Ohio, uh, just outside of Cincinnati. We have got a loaded card. Tons of uh, international, national, local superstars. And then Saturday, we're also, again, we head to Indiana. Yeah, that's right. You know, the namesake, right? Battle on the Border. So we're heading across the border to Indiana for uh, night two, a big show. So I'll be there taking in all that action. Uh, Jargo was just laying it out there. We've got New Japan. We've got WWE. We've got NXT. We've got AEW. So much going on. So you can keep up with me across all social media platforms at The Real RBP. We'll talk to you later on this week. But for now, we're off like a progress. See ya. Watch your fingers. Label me. I don't give up. You bad guy. Great
Your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. 